It's Monday, May 9th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how the 50s sci-fi horror film The Blob was actually a ripped-from-the-headlines story. Plus, potential cancer treatments involving magnets and dirt. And would you undergo a fecal transplant to reverse signs of aging? It could be an option in the future. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. You know, the blob? Not the giant vinyl monstrosity that lives in summer camp lakes and launches you into the air when fellow campers jump on the other side, but the 1958 sci-fi horror film starring Steve McQueen, and I suppose it's gory 1988 remake, but mostly we're talking about the original. Even if you haven't seen it, you're probably at least vaguely familiar with the plot. It's not a complicated one. A teenage couple sees a meteorite crash while they're smooching at Lover's Lane, the meteorite turns out out to have been holding some otherworldly goo inside of it that soon begins terrorizing their all-American town. The goo, or the titular blob, is a sort of gelatinous, red-tinged ooze that seems to have at least some sort of sentience. A B-movie originally, and not too popular with critics, The Blob was a surprise hit, not only spawning a sequel a few years later, but inspiring countless other monsters like it in sci-fi and horror movies for decades to come. Nerdist name-checks The Slime in Ghostbusters 2 and The Mind Flayer in Stranger Things as two prime examples. It's such a weird unsettling, yet in some ways underwhelming villain that it really stuck with audiences. But how did the filmmakers come up with such a creative concept? It turns out, from a real-world headline. Quoting Mental Floss, On September 26, 1950, Philadelphia police officers Joe Keenan and John Collins claimed to have seen something falling from the sky. Searching the area, they found a curious ooze dangling from a telephone pole that seemed to move. When Collins reached out to touch it, apparently he was not well-versed in the rules of horror movies, it left behind a sticky residue and then simply evaporated. No explanation was ever presented as to the origin of this substance or whether the officers had misinterpreted the situation. The two did, however, call for backup, which made for four law enforcement officials corroborating this strange tale. End quote. The Philadelphia Inquirer at the time claimed the officer who touched the goo later had, quote, tiny pulsating globules stuck to his skin that later evaporated completely. End quote. And the press had a field day, with headlines claiming things like, Flying Saucer Just Dissolves. The story even made it into the national news via the Associated Press, and both the FBI and the Air Force were called in to investigate, although that never really went anywhere. Nerdist notes that The Blob's producer, Jack Harris, and director, Irvine Milgate, never confirmed they were inspired by this incident, but they never denied it either. And it was a fairly hyped-up story at the time, and in the same place where the film was shot. It would have been a bit of local lore that many of the Pennsylvania crew and extras were familiar with at the very least. And whether or not it was the real inspiration for the film is less interesting than what those officers in Philadelphia may have actually encountered. Quoting Nerdist, It turns out that mysterious disappearing space goo has been falling across the globe for centuries. 
The phenomenon is known as Pudra Ser, Welsh for the rot of the stars. It was given its name all the way back in the 1600s and has reoccurred sporadically throughout history. Notable incidents hit Tasmania in 1996 and Scotland in 2009. From the earliest sightings in the 1400s, the blobs, also known as star jelly, earth stars, and star slime, have long been associated with meteorite showers. They were originally alleged to be essentially melted space rocks. Most modern scientists have been quick to poo-poo that theory. Meteorites don't melt, and gelatinous substances would never survive a plummet through Earth's atmosphere. Other discredited hypotheses suggested that the blobs were slime molds, fungi, bacterial algae byproducts, or even caustic soda from battery reprocessing plants. So what is the star rot, then? Well... We don't know. The most widely accepted theory is that the star jelly is some kind of animal regurgitation. Popular contenders include frog spawn or partially digested poisonous toads being barfed back up by birds. End quote. Pleasant. Now, the fact that so many instances of this star jelly are preceded by some kind of meteorite-esque sighting is interesting, but could just be some sort of confirmation bias. There has also been at least one incident in which some of the goo that was discovered was determined to have been a common agricultural polymer that simply got rained on and soaked up a bunch of water, making them look like unearthly blobs. So while there's a bit of mystery and intrigue around them, there's also, like so many things, a lot of potential explanations. And there's no evidence yet that any blobs found have been extraterrestrial or possessed any level of sentience, or ill intentions for that matter. The blob, for now, will remain in the genre of sci-fi horror and not quite documentary. So there's a new potential cancer treatment coming out of Sheffield University in England that involves magnets made by soil. Yeah, it's kind of wild, but it does make sense once you lay it all out. So first, these researchers are working in the field of oncolytic virus therapy, essentially using viruses to target and attack tumors. Some oncolytic viruses are naturally occurring and some are modified. They're a promising option in general for treating various forms of cancer for a few reasons. Quoting the Cancer Research Institute, one, cancer cells often have impaired antiviral defenses that make them susceptible to infection. Two, these natural viruses can be engineered to give them advantageous properties, including decreasing their ability to infect healthy cells, as well as granting them the ability to deliver therapeutic payloads specifically to tumors and produce immune-boosting molecules once they infect tumor cells. And three, after infection, these oncolytic viruses can cause cancer cells to burst, killing the cancer cells and releasing cancer antigens. These antigens can then stimulate immune responses that can seek out and eliminate any remaining tumor cells nearby and potentially anywhere else in the body. End quote. There's one form of oncolytic virus immunotherapy currently approved by the FDA here in the U.S. for the treatment of melanoma. It's called TVEC, and it's a herpes virus that's been engineered to infect tumor cells and cause them to produce that immune-stimulating protein. But the research team over at Sheffield University is interested in expanding the types of tumors that can be treated with oncolytic virus immunotherapy. And right now, they are specifically interested in breast and prostate cancers. 
As the team explains it, melanoma was a great first step for this approach because, as it currently works, only skin-deep tumors can be knocked out by the modified virus before that virus gets blocked by our other cell defenses. So, quoting The Guardian, a solution, the scientists say, is to coat the viruses in magnetic particles. Injected into the blood, these microscopic projectiles could then be directed quickly to a tumor by using magnets placed over a patient's body before their progress can be blocked by immune defenses. It's like having a coat of armor or a shield, added project lead Dr. Mudita Mutana. The magnets help protect the virus, but crucially, they also help them to target a tumor. We place a magnet over a tumor and it will draw the virus speedily and directly to it, end quote. Pretty cool already, but here is where the soil comes in. The magnets only need to be about 50 nanometers in size to draw out the 180 nanometer virus. The magnets could be manufactured in a lab, but co-project lead Dr. Faith Howard says that soil bacteria does a way better job of producing these microscopic magnets. Quoting again, Some species of soil bacteria synthesize iron oxide nanoparticles that are called magnetosomes. These are used as compasses that allow the microbes to navigate in Earth's magnetic field and help them find optimum conditions for their growth and survival. End quote. And the use of soil-derived magnetosomes for cancer treatment is not just an idea. The team has already been carrying out trials on animal models and are currently in the process of gathering and producing sufficient supplies to begin clinical human trials within the next few years. Cancer treatment in which soil bacteria grows magnets that are used to draw out a virus engineered to attack tumors. There are so many levels of ingenuity there. Really does kind of give you hope. Throughout history, people have done a lot of bizarre things to try to achieve eternal youth, or at least reverse a few of the effects of aging. There was a period during the early 20th century in which black market organs allegedly from younger people could be bought and transplanted into older folks with the hopes of them being rejuvenated in some way, but they were more likely to die from the procedure. Now there is a new, less fatal, but punitively grosser treatment out there, Fecal transplants. Now, first, as out there and funny as fecal transplants might sound, they are a very real thing. They're mostly performed as a treatment for C. diff, and it's basically what it sounds like. It is the transfer of stool from a healthy donor to the gastrointestinal tract of the patient, typically by way of a colonoscopy, with the donor's uh, contribution delivered via the colonoscope. But scientists at the Quadrum Institute and the University of East Anglia have shown that transplanting fecal microbiota from young mice into older mice can reverse markers of aging, and that doing the reverse, transplanting the fecal microbiota from older mice into younger ones, induced inflammation in the brain and affected a key protein for vision. Quoting Science Daily, the study, published in the journal Microbiome, found that the microbiota from old donors led to loss of integrity in the lining of the gut, allowing bacterial products to cross into the circulation, which results in triggering the immune system and inflammation in the brain and eyes. 
Age-related chronic inflammation, known as inflammagene, has been associated with the activation of specific immune cells found in the brain. These cells were also overactivated in the young mice who received aged microbiome transplants. In the eye, the team also found specific proteins associated with retinal degeneration were elevated in the young mice receiving microbiota from old donors. The microbiota of young mice and the old mice who received young microbiota transplants were enriched in beneficial bacteria that have previously been associated with good health in both mice and humans, end quote. The researchers are currently working to identify how long these positive effects might last, and they also say we shouldn't be holding out hope just yet that the same procedure would produce similar effects in humans. We are a long way from that. But they are excited about how their study emphasizes the role that our gut microbiota plays in our overall health and particularly in aging. Lead author Dr. Amy Parker said, quote, we were excited to find that by changing the gut microbiota of elderly individuals, we could rescue indicators of age-associated decline commonly seen in degenerative conditions of the eye and brain. We hope that our findings will contribute ultimately to understanding how we can manipulate our diet and our gut bacteria to maximize good health in later life, end quote. So, with the caveat again that this has only been shown in mice so far, just imagine one day where a regular poop transplant will keep your brain and vision as sharp as in your teen years. Well, one of the big news stories over the weekend was the announcement of the new Doctor in Doctor Who. Current and 13th Doctor, as well as first canonical woman in the role, Jodie Whittaker, will end her tenure this season, and taking the helm will be Shuti Gatwa. Gatwa had his big break in Netflix's Sex Education when his character Eric became a quick fan favorite, and Gatwa will be the first person of color to play the Doctor in a full-time leading capacity, and having seen how how talented he is both at drama and comedy on Sex Education. I am pretty stoked about this news. I kind of fell off the Doctor Who boat back during the Peter Capaldi years, and I was meant to get back into it when Jodie Whittaker was the Doctor, but you know, now I might finally have to catch up. Especially because original reboot showrunner Russell T. Davies will also be returning for the new season when Gatwa takes over as the Doctor, so lots to be excited for there. And in other British TV news, Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight has a new six-part drama series coming to the BBC all about the beginnings of the ska scene. Quoting BBC, Two-Tone will tell the story of an extended family and four young people drawn into the scene which grew out of Coventry and Birmingham in the late 70s and early 80s. Unifying black, white, and Asian youths at the time, Knight said the series' soundtrack would be sensational. It'll start filming later this year at Knight's new Birmingham studios. End quote. Now, Ska's easy to make fun of, even if you like it, but a lot of people outside of the scene don't realize that the two-tone era in the 70s, once it had jumped from its original incarnation in Jamaica in the 50s, was actually a really beautiful and important contributor to racial unity at an intense and heated time in England. So, in addition to that sensational soundtrack that Knight teased, this series is probably going to be pretty heavy and resonant. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. 
This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so do the many cool things to do. Come keep cool with amazing pools and the hottest nights at the coolest spots in Texas. Go to visitsanantonio.com slash summer. Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at whycampidaho.org.